Publishing for Profit podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters and Co. Earn more money by publishing better content and learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to ghostwritersandco.com for more information. That's ghostwritersandco.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris. Hello, and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. This is your host, Joel Mark Harris. Today, we are interviewing Diana Richardson, who is part of the SEMrush social media and SEO team there. And she's actually part of, she actually hosts the, um, the Twitter chats for SEMrush. Um, and so if you don't know SEMrush, it is a comprehensive SEO tool to help you analyze and make better decisions in terms of your digital marketing. Uh, it's a great conversation we have. Uh, we talk about how Diana got into digital marketing and how she transitioned over to SEMrush how it is working for such a great organization. Um, it's an organization that I've personally uh, watched from afar and you know, really admire their culture and, and what they do for the whole SEO community. Uh, so great conversation. If you are looking to improve your SEO game, you know, increase your rankings, then this really is the podcast for you. Uh, Diana has such a wealth of knowledge and she shares it. Um, so yeah, so and a great conversation. So without further ado, here is Diana. Diana, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you today? I'm great. I'm really happy we're recording this on a Friday. So it's nice <laughs> to wrap up the week with you, I think. This is a really nice end of the week. I'm very jealous of your wine tour that you're doing tomorrow, and I'm sure the audience is as well, because especially right now in Canada, all that is shut down. So um, I will live vicariously through you. Okay. Um, well, so you can... if you haven't yet, followed me on Instagram, and you'll, you'll be sure to see some wine pictures. So <laughs> I will. I I'm, will. In, I'm in Texas for the podcast listeners, and uh, Texas is a little bit more opened up. However, the wineries are outside. So even if we were closed for indoor stuff, we are still staying safe, but yeah, we're going, my boyfriend and I are going to a winery or two um, this upcoming weekend. It's our first time doing that sort of fun adventure in a while. So it's, it'll be nice. That's awesome. So let, I want to go back. Um, you're obviously been in digital marketing for a while and very experienced. Can you talk a little bit about your journey through digital marketing? Well, I landed in digital marketing because I answered an ad in a newspaper. <laughs> that seems ironic to me. I don't know. I, well, it is now, but <laughs> in the in the olden times of my career, um, you know, Indeed didn't exist. <laughs> so I am older than Indeed. <laughs> um, I'm actually older than Google too. So uh, that's okay though. <laughs> but yeah, so I... You know, my college career circled around marketing and communications and theater, actually. And so it actually worked out really nicely to land in a path. And it was a new adventure. I, I got a job with a company that was transitioning away from print to digital. So I got to see that process and I got to be part of a startup business at that time. And when 
um, search engine optimization and pay-per-click advertising and even website development was still so new, um, especially for the industries that I was working with at the time. Um, I was asked regularly, like, why do I need a website? And why do I need to be on Google? And I think, I hope, if you're asking yourself that question now, please DM me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> let me help you. And if you don't know what a DM on Twitter is, then Lord help you. But, um, <laughs> you know, and but it's been interesting evolving with the SEO world kind of in as it has evolved. And, um, you know, it's it's fascinating to see what has changed and what hasn't and how many more options we have for ranking potential that we didn't in the very beginning and how complex it's gotten, but still sticking to the foundations of quality and helpfulness. And if you think about like Google and Bing's business model, which I've seen Bing be a million different things <laughs> in my career too, but Google's always been there. And if you think about their business model, their business model is to provide you the searcher with something that is helpful. So you will come back. So you won't switch to Bing. So you won't go to DuckDuckGo. So it, it, it behooves them as to benefit their business to make sure that what their ranking is of quality and is relevant so that you keep coming back for more. And that's been their business model since day one. They're an index of good stuff and they want, they want to give you the good stuff <laughs> and they, you know, shoo away the crap. <laughs> that's their job. <laughs> You know, so it's interesting to see that evolution too. Mm -hmm. I think you've put, hit on a very interesting point that I don't think a lot of people really understand. Like, because I like to simplify things. Um, <laughs> Google is really just a way of getting somebody information that they're looking for, right? And so if right. you are that person who has that information, you are, you know, you may not rank it initially because there may be somebody who does all these tricks and and things to Google and to try and game <laughs> Google a little bit, but ultimately you're going to be a winner because you are providing value to that end user, which is exactly as you said, those are the people that Google are trying to serve. That And that's Google's purpose. Google mm -hmm. was invented to do that. <laughs> Google was, and we think, and it's, it is interesting to think about Google on that level because it's such a conglomeration, right? Like it's just this huge corporation. It's this huge conglomerate. I think I just combined two words into one, but whatever. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's this monolith of, of, a, of an entity and, but at the core of it, it's a database for you. And they have become this monolith because of the fact that they've been able to produce, well, they've had really good marketing, let's be honest, um, especially in the beginning. And, but they've been able to secure their place in our world because they've stuck to that core value of providing quality results to answer your queries. Now, a lot of that has changed. Like our query behavior has even changed over time. In the beginning, we would just type shoes, and we would, because we didn't know any better, like the internet, the search engines were still new. Like, like we kind of expected it to read our minds and now we communicate to each other a lot better. So our results are, so back in the day, back in my agency days, I would have clients ask me, you know, why aren't I showing up on the first page of Google for lawnmower? And I would have to explain like, 
Someone searching lawnmower in their head knows what they want. Google is a machine. Google that can't read your mind. Like you have to be more specific. Like even back in those, in those times you had to specify like lawnmowers for sale, San Antonio, like Google hadn't come into the phase where it can, it can tell your geography and it hadn't gone into so much personalization like it is now. So I had to explain a lot that Google is not a mind reader and you have to almost explain to it what you want back. And it's obviously Google has evolved a lot in that front and can pretty much read our minds or listen to our voices <laughs> and get us what we want. But I think the communication between us as users and the search engines have sunk, have like synced up too. Um, so we've evolved as well. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about what drew you and what still draws you to digital marketing? Because I know for myself, it was something I sort of fell into. I never, you know, I, maybe I, I don't think anyone grows up thinking I'm going to be a digital marketer. Maybe they do these days, but hey, now they might. Yeah. <laughs> But um, for me, myself, I definitely was something I like, I, you know, dipped my toe in and I was like, oh, this is really cool. So, you know, can you tell me about, about what you find so fascinating and interesting about digital marketing? Well, what was it that you found so cool? So like dipping your toe in, did you get a chance to see like your effect on websites or like, what did you find really cool? No, for me, I think it's the it's the combination of art and science that I really like because it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, part analytics, you know, analytics is very important, especially in S SEO, social media, really actually all in, in all digital media. If we um, can track it, it's probably important. <laughs> exactly. But there is a, a little bit of art um, and you need to, you need to, you know, use your creativity and your brain um, to get the result. So it's kind of like, it's that problem solving, but also really being able to see the results and really being able to see specifically what worked, what didn't. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of like, I think, and yeah, I think that's what really drew me and what I found interesting. Mine's very similar. And mm -hmm. because I knew I wanted to do something in marketing because I, lo I love people and I love understanding like people's stories and I love, <clears throat> I wish I had taken like a consumer psychology class. I don't know why I didn't because it would be perfect for what I do now. And I feel like a consumer psychologist through keyword research. And I really found that I loved the customer journey. And I, I loved understanding how people were searching and how I could react to that through my website or, the, you know, my client's website or something. And I think, I think SEO has gotten a lot more creative over the years. I thinking back to my early career, it was very churn and burn. I was writing very stale copy just over and over again. Cause we worked with the same types of clients. And I wish at that point I had had a little bit more of a storytelling background because now it is so important as like a conversion strategy almost, not just an optimization strategy, but to get that person into your world and bring them in and get them to convert. You absolutely have to have that art. And I love the creativity too. I also love that no day is the same. I have, I never, even when I was doing the churn and burn websites, no day was the same. We are always on our toes. We were, no strategy was the same for every website, even though they were very similar websites for very similar clients. No website performed the same. I always said, websites and PPC campaigns take on their own personalities and there's not a great way to compare one to it to the other because there's just so many factors involved including that personality there's just an x factor sometimes that gets website a and copy of website a to perform differently 
Um, so I always, I, that was something that I just would always say a lot that, oh, that PPC campaign's got a personality of its own, like, <laughs> you know, give it three months to develop a personality. That's kind of how I would talk about it. And so I love that part of it too. You know, it would, it's just, it's unique every day. I love the community. Um, I love being able to talk to people and nerd out about Google and H tags and alt tags and, you know, content length and backlinks. And like what Google Analytics is doing and how I love my increase in <laughs> new users. And, you know, it's just fun to talk to people on that level because everybody else glazes over. <laughs> or yeah. thinks you work for Google. <laughs> <laughs> or can thinks you, you can fix the router. <laughs> can you talk a little bit? Because you went from a very small agency of seven people into like an international company uh, with uh, Semrush. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experience, um, I guess, transitioning over and what you do today? Yeah. So I loved, I loved, so my very first SEO job was with another big company. And when I left there, I made a conscious decision that I was um, kind of a little over like corporate America for a time. I needed a break. And I, so I purposely sought out a job with a boutique agency and I was very drawn to the one that hired me. We had, they were instant work family. It's a, we're still great friends to this day. It was, a, it was beautiful. Um, and that sort of collaboration was, I learned so much like from that collaboration with, from having a small team, I learned so much about design, graphic design, storytelling, branding, making commercials. Like I learned so much about other aspects of marketing. And that is exactly what was like feeding my soul. Um, they also said, you're the only digital marketer do all your stuff. So I got to learn a lot about like learn more about social media, learn more about email funnels. And so I got, cause I got to be hands-on in finding new tactics. Cause it was just me. I was the digital marketing director. That was it. <laughs> just me. <laughs> um, while still practicing SEO and PPC, you know, I still got to do the things, the tried and true things I was already good at while still being able to learn and play. And so my, motivation for finding a remote, it started with my motivation for starting with looking for a remote position. And um, like we mentioned, like I moved from Virginia to Texas and my, the boutique agency I was working with wouldn't, we couldn't work really remotely. So I needed a remote position. And I have been a part of the SEMrush Twitter chat and part of the SEMrush brand for years because I've used the tool. Like I used it at my last two jobs before I worked here. So a huge fan of the brand, out of the gate. And I became friends with the person who hosted the Twitter chat. I'm the one who hosts the Twitter chat now. And we were just talking one day and she mentioned she was trying to find a social media manager who knew had an SEO background. And I said, that is me. <laughs> it was literally networking that got me this job. And whatever I have done in this universe to point me in this direction, I'm glad I did it because I, this is amazing. And working with an international company has been fascinating. Um, half of my, I mean, I have no one here in Texas with me. Everyone is across the U S and throughout, um, Europe and Russia and, and all sorts of countries. And it's been culturally very fascinating. It's been, my mornings are all meetings because I have to be on the same time zone as the other half of my team. But then I get the afternoon kind of to myself and to get my work done or to cook a meal for an hour and then come back. And it's a really nice flow. Um, 
culture at SEMrush is amazing because, and it starts with the top, you know, it starts with Oleg and Eugene right at the top and they foster a wonderful culture of us being ourselves. And they want us to play and experiment and have personality and be a part of the community. The community, the SEO and digital marketing community is a foundational element to SEMrush. It's core, it's vital, and we value it like more than I have any seen, have seen any other brand value their audience. Even, even the people in our community who aren't, don't use our tools. Like we still value that input and that conversation and that insight and their brains, like they're amazing people. And it's just a really incredible culture to be a part of. And then to be like kind of on the front lines and speaking to that community has been amazing. <laughs> I'm exhausted, but it's amazing. <laughs> and why is Sam Rush a good tool? And I guess just to preface as I, I agree, I've I've uh, followed SEMrush for many years and I love the tools. I love the company and the culture seems, um, obviously speaking from an outside perspective, mm -hmm. but the culture does well, I seem- I have both really perspectives amazing. now. Yes, I have both <laughs> perspectives, yeah. Um, but why is it a good tool for small businesses? I love it. And I've loved it from the beginning because it is a workflow based tool. It isn't piece, a piece here, a piece there, it, things all kind of integrate together. They flow together. You can add this into this and then export it into Trello or it syncs up with Google. And like, there's a lot of really smart steps that we've taken away from the marketer and put into the tool. And I think that if you're a small business owner and you don't have like an extensive marketing team, this is one tool that you can hand them. And there's a lot of nuances. There's a big learning curve with SEMrush. I, we are aware <laughs> because there's just a, it's a very robust tool and all these little things you, you can just keep clicking and something new happens. And we did that on purpose because digital marketing is not stagnant and you, and it, how many freaking tabs do you have open because you have 17 different stupid tools open to do your daily workflow. And we wanted to get rid of that. We wanted to have it built into one and we wanted it to be based on data. Um, Cause you were, you know, you were just saying like how important data is to this business. Um, so that's why I think it's valuable. I know it's, I know it's pricey. I know it's, it, there's a, you know, a learning curve to it, but it is worth it as a solidary, a solitary tool because it'll work, work you through your processes. Mm. It's Friday afternoon and my mouth is not working great today. <laughs> oh, you're doing great. And <laughs> uh, it's unfortunate when you're recording a podcast, but I'm trying. <laughs> no, you're doing wonderful. Um, though this I'm sure you get this question a lot and, and it may seem like a lazy question, but I think it's important because, you know, a lot of people, they, they, you know, you talk about H tags and metadata and they just think it's gibberish. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, and they don't really care about you know, all that stuff. They just want results. So what if for our listeners who maybe they don't want to dive deep into SEO, they just want the results. What are like a couple key things that they can do to improve their SEO and get the results that they want? Well, <laughs> first of all, you're going to have to put in the work if you want the results. Um, you know, just like working out, like it doesn't, there's no magic pill. 
our tool does not optimize your website. You have to do it or have somebody else do it. And, but what, what I, the areas I would say to start with are the speed of your website, uh, because it's especially, well, speed's been an important, you know, factor for a while now, but now that mobile usage is what it is, it's just so much more important. And now Google is coming out with these user, um, the uh, core web vitals. What am I mm. trying to say? User experience. There we go. User experience uh, signals. And because people don't have patience for slow loading websites. And so a high quality website is going to be the fast one, the one that can compress their images, the one that can compress their code and things like that and get that faster. So I would put that as a priority. I would also make sure things like your content doesn't shift because how many times have you been on like a recipe website and you, you click, it says like jump to recipe and you click it and it opens up a stupid ad or video that you didn't mean to click on. And so that happens to me all the time. I love, mm -hmm. I love cooking, but recipe websites drive me crazy. I, would, I like, sometimes I just print it out. So I like old school print it out. So I don't have to deal with the website. And, um, so you make sure that you're, so that's, um, your content stability, make sure your content is stable and not shifting. And so I would prioritize those two technical things and then prioritize putting your personality into your content. Um, yes, you have title tags. Yes, you have H tags. Yes, you have alt tags. Um, you, those are all important elements to a website and um, you're gonna need to figure out what those are at some point. But if you don't have a personality on your website, I don't care what you rank, you can rank number zero. I don't care if you have no personality, no one's doing business with you. So priorities, make your site fast, make it good to use, make it fun to use and have some personality. I think that ties into uh, storytelling because mm -hmm. when I think of SEO, you know, a lot of people I talk about SEO, they're like, just do what your competitors are doing, just do it better. So just, you know, write more content, have more pages, I right? Every time <laughs> I heard that yeah. fun fact. <laughs> so how does, how does, how should storytelling tie into SEO? Storytelling is where you should start with SEO. And because you can, I like to tell the story first and then come back and optimize for keywords and topics and questions. Um, in a world where everyone is online, every business is online, all of your competitors are online and everyone starts their customer journey online, you need to stand out in a way beyond rankings. And because I mean, do you do business with the number one ranking website all the time? No, because sometimes I don't like them. <laughs> so I go on to the next. And that is very common user behavior. And you have to, you have to be able to make that connection with, the, with your audience. Don't think of them as customers. Don't think of them as users. Think of them as your community, as your audience. And, that, and talk to them. Create the audience personas and have a conversation with them through your website copy, through your, um, you know, your description tags. That's the little blurb that shows up in Google. Have a conversation. Be yourself. Cuss. If that's your brand, do it. Be different. Be you and be different. And I think that's how you can do it better. I hate, I hate when people say do it better because like what the crap does that actually mean? Do it better than my competitors. Like, okay. <laughs> So if you, but, but you can be you, you can do it better by being you and being unique. That's, that's how I, that's how I, I incorporated okay. it. Cause then again, you tell your story and then come back with your keyword phrases and you can 
make some swaps or you can include it in an H tag or you can, you know, make the optimization changes, but tell the story first and don't optimize and get rid of the storytelling. Don't get rid of your personality just for keywords. Mm. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see small businesses make when it comes to SEO? Um, not thinking about it from the beginning of building their website. Um, you know, they want, especially in this, in what we just experienced in this last year with a lot of businesses needing to rush to be online because their stores, their physical stores were closed. They rushed the process and rushing through it and, you know, use and using a template Wix, Squarespace, whatever is fine. You can certainly use those templates, but you have to think about the, how you're going to structure your website from the beginning. You have to think about the user's journey through your website from the beginning. Like you thought of, you thought very clearly as a business owner, where you wanted to place your business, the physical location, you scouted locations, you toured buildings and you chose your location for a reason. And the same mindset has to go into your website and SEO cannot be something you do once the website is live. It has to start in the very beginning. Mm. I think that's actually a really good point because you're right. People think about physical location. They think about traffic, but they don't necessarily put the same effort into their online And let uh, me just website. put this nugget out there. Mm. Your, your website, it is now your business. Your physical business is almost going to become the secondary source now. Your website is your primary way of doing business, and that's how you should prioritize it. Yeah, no, that's important too. How do you prevent overwhelm? Because, you know, I know you do social media, you do SEO. How does a business like think about these things without getting too, yeah, too overwhelmed with, you know, all the, these different tasks mm -hmm. and what should they prioritize? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one step at a time because it is very overwhelming, it, even for somebody who's been doing it for a long time. It's a lot. It is. Um, and you have so many channels to be on now outside of SEO, outside of social media. I mean, now you have video content and short video content. You have TikTok, you have emails, you've got email still very, a very significant functional way of doing marketing. I've heard email is dead for decades and it still is a great source of leads because it's a terrific way to communicate with your core audience and people who are engaging with your brand. Um, I would say prioritize your tasks based on your business goals. So are you needing sales right away? Are you needing, like, are you a brand new brand and you just need some brand awareness and exposure and you know, sales will come later. Are you needing to hire? Are you like, what are your business goals and frame your digital marketing strategy around that? And then if, you know, if you're going to run some paid ads right now while your SEO builds momentum, okay, then prioritize, optimize your paid search ads because that's where your budget is being spent. If you're prioritizing social media, then, you know, don't worry about the paid search ads necessarily right now. Like you just have to prioritize based on what you're trying to do. Mm. So there's, how no, do you... there's no direct answer to that. You just, it has to be, you have to understand the purpose of the channels, I think. So <clears throat> 
for example, like the one thing, one thing that I do love about uh, like search engine marketing is it's a very, um, I'm there when you need me kind of marketing as opposed to television or radio, which is just, you happen to be listening or watching this channel and my commercial is on like, you're, you, you appear in the search engines because someone was seeking you out. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved that about it. And I think it's a smart way to spend like advertising dollars because you're not just investing in arbitrary ears or eyes on anything. Like someone had to Google something sort of close to you for you to be there. So that they're already kind of pre-registered as a qualified person to be a part of your world. Um, so you know, if you, if you're looking for something like sales and you need to be present because people are searching for your products on the search engines in there, but if you makeup brands have a lot of weight on, on Instagram. So mm -hmm. maybe if you're looking for sales, start running Instagram, uh, shopping ads and, um, and like Facebook lead gen ads and, uh, things like that. And TikTok, I think TikTok just released their, uh, paid advertising, um, platform. So, you know, be, you have to be where your audience is and where they're doing the action you want. Mm. Uh, so on the topic of paid ads, this is, and I'll preface this and sort of frame this question in, in what I do. And you can give uh, you can tell me if this is a good idea or if, or if I should change my strategy, but uh -oh. how, I mean, <laughs> I work with a lot of uh, companies that are like they're new to the online world. They, they've done a lot of in-person networking or, you know, referrals, right? And so they're just trying to get their SEO started. So I generally, what I do is generally start, do, do like an ad campaign to like boost sales right away. And generally I do like 80% marketing effort on the um, paid search uh, and then 20% on SEO. And then as the SEO gains traction and, mm -hmm. and become a new, you know, raise the, in the rankings, then I decrease the budget and put that more into SEO. Is that a good way to look at paid search or do you have a different way of doing, of doing search? So it depends. <laughs> Classic answer. If you're getting, <laughs> if you're getting the results like if you're achieving the results that your client wants through paid, then do paid. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be backing down on budget if it's succeeding. Um, now there's ways to certainly optimize that budget so you can spend less and get better results. That was always my goal when I was running paid ads is I was like working really hard to increase, um, you know, the ad rate, the ad quality and the click-through rates and the landing page quality because I wanted to decrease my CPCs so I could spend less budget or keep the same budget and get more action. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's working, then there's no reason to shift budget. Now I would say like a lot of the SEO work for in my world has happened, happens at the beginning, but as we know, like you can do as much as you freaking possibly can in the beginning. And it's still up to the search engines to crawl, recrawl, get to know you shift, shift the rankings to include you. And, and all of that takes, you know, months and months and months. Um, but there's a lot of really strategic ways you can use even small budgets in paid search. So I think it's a very valuable asset. I love all the control that you have with paid ads. And um, if you can achieve, yeah, if you can achieve success, then stick with it. There's no reason to shift budget just because your ranking, your organic rankings are improving. Mm. For people who are unsure about SEO or don't know like how it works or why it works, <laughs> is there a way of asking or of like 
of demonstrating um, the like the effectiveness of SEO and and really convincing them that it's like one of the best ways to um, get traffic and get ultimately sales to your website. Yeah. So the ROI. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. ROI tracking ROI with SEO is pretty tricky, especially, and it's funny because we can track so much, (laughs) but there's a lot that we can't track. And a lot of times I would talk to businesses and say, and this was pre pandemic times too, like, you know, obviously we can't attribute someone finding you on Google and then coming into your store and buying something. I struggled with that a lot because some of my, a lot of my businesses, a lot of my clients didn't sell products online. They had, they were dealerships. They were equipment dealerships. Like that you don't buy a bulldozer online. Like you go to the dealership and look. So we had a really tough time attributing ROI. So we would look at other metrics like, um, like, like branded terms, the increase in like people searching for your brand name, um, and then also the conversion rate online, but we would set different conversions. So are they signing up for your email now? Are they uh, subscribing to your social media channels? Are they doing other actions? Are they clicking on the map page? Like I, I put a lot of weight on um, how much organic traffic or, or the path, like coming into the website and then leaving on like the map page or the contact us page. And I'm like, see, like this organic traffic is coming here. They're checking you out. And then here's a really interesting page. Here's a page of their website that shows their intent. Their intent is to visit you or contact you. And that's very, very valuable. So I would track paths a lot and show like attribution to of organic traffic to the priority pages, to the intent pages. If it, if, if you know, it wasn't a shopping website, for example, or like an appointment website, mm-hmm. something where there is a direct correlation, I would, um, I would show that kind of effect. And then, um, yeah, I mean, you have to track visitors, how many visitors are coming from the search engines organically. That is how many more eyeballs you are getting put by this work, then you you wouldn't, if you hadn't put the effort into it. And then showing another great thing too, is showing where you start to show up in the search engine, the SERP features. So things like this, the featured snippet, the map pack, the knowledge panel, the, you know, getting the um, site links or your, your reviews showing up, like going beyond, because we know rankings now are so biased based on our browser history that it's actually kind of difficult to track organic rankings unbiasedly. SEMrush's tool does do that, thankfully. Um, I think most tools actually do that. But if you are the client and you're searching and you're Googling yourself, like you might see different results than the report, but that's why. But you can start to track your presence in the SERP features too. So not only are we optimizing for your site to show up, you know, 10, 9, 8, up to 1, but now you're showing up in featured snippets. Now your site links are here. Now your reviews. So there's more. To, there's more to show now. Okay. Could you um, just for our audience define some of those terms that you just used? So like certain mm-hmm. fe- uh, features and yes. knowledge panels, <laughs> right? Um, so sure, sure. what are what are those? So I love SERP features. So SERP features are everything that shows up on Google except the ads and except the organic standard listings. So when you see the map, when you Google a question and that answer box pops up, if you Google a recipe and the steps show up, if you Googled a person and like this, their bio shows up on the right-hand side, those are all considered SERP features. 
um, because they are, go above and beyond the traditional organic blue link and blurb. <laughs> and so something like a featured snippet. So featured snippets, there's four, a couple different kinds. There's like four kinds. And that those are typically at the very tippy top. Um, when you've Googled a question, you know, um, what is the weather like in San Antonio? And it answers it right at the top. Or like your flight information, those flight statistics or results, those are considered SERP features. Um, but featured snippets often show you steps. How do I, how do I install a toilet? Whatever you get those steps before you even have to click into the article. How do I broil a chicken? Like the recipe is right there before you even click into the website. So those are featured snippets. Um, and it, it's called featured snippets because it's pulling a snippet of content from an article and displaying it straight on Google. So that's why it's called a snippet. Um, and it's featured because it's typically very high on the page. Um, sometimes above paid ads, sometimes in the content, you know, it just, it just depends on how Google feels that day. Mm. One of my other favorite SERP features is people also ask because the, because of the prevalence of people asking Google questions um, and in voice search too, is really important to be answering questions in your content. So if you're researching, like you're coming up with a new piece of content, maybe you're creating an FAQ page for your website. The people also ask section is a great resource for those types of questions for you to be including in your content because those questions are not pulled arbitrarily. I don't actually know the Google science behind it, but my theory is that because you know how their AI is tracking everything we do, we have they have all of the data. So they're seeing you know people who want to make homemade pizzas also ask, where do I buy gluten-free crust? Can I shred my own cheese? What's the best marinara sauce? Like, so they're gonna suggest these questions to you because they've seen pattern behaviors in their AI. The knowledge panel is that bio that shows up on the right-hand side, you know, especially if you Google like a company or a person, like that whole knowledge panel uh, comes up, that's what it's called. <laughs> I think it's pretty well-named. <laughs> it's a panel of knowledge and it pulls from different sources. A lot of times it pulls from Wikipedia, um, but it, it'll pull um, articles and your social media handles and things like that too. So it's really, it's great for personal branding. If you are an influencer or a celebrity or kind of, an author or something like that, then it's a really great uh, way to get you front and center on, on Google when, when you get searched. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple. Did For that me, answer your question? It, def it definitely <laughs> There's a lot does. more. I could keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, you were talking about maps earlier and the importance of those. Uh, for companies that serve a particular area, maybe like they have a shop or, you know, they like they're like an in-person service opposed mm -hmm. to maybe a, you know, a company that sells T-shirts and can sell worldwide. Should these companies look at SEO differently? Absolutely. Yes. Great question. Yeah. <clears throat> so now we're getting into local SEO. So local SEO is very, very important and you could, and, but it's also really great because you know what? There's less people competing against you locally than there is in the world. So you already have an advantage and you already have less competition and you want to think about local SEO as if you live in that community. So including colloquial terms for like your region, including neighborhoods, um, <clears throat> like 
people call San Antonio, San Antonio. So optimizing for things like that, like, and where I am from in Virginia, there's about seven cities that make up Hampton Roads, Virginia. Hampton Roads is an arbitrary term, but me searching, you know, from one of those cities, I might look for HVAC services in Hampton Roads because I know they can be in any one of those seven cities, as opposed to like Googling all of those seven cities. So think about like how people in your area talk about your area, because you need to include those terms in your content. Do not include every freaking zip code um, that you serve in your content. Do not include every freaking city in the, your five state service area. Do not do that. That's excessive, that's spammy, that it is providing no one help. If you serve that large of an area, invest in a website where people can like select their location. Um, and in, so invest in that technology, um, but please don't add all of your zip codes to your contact us page. I will hunt you down. It's like, I hate, I hated that because I've worked, I've worked with, you know, multi-location businesses and can I just put my, all the zip codes? Well, A, hardly anyone searches by zip code, but B, you just, it's going to look like a bunch of numbers. It's going to look like crap. So no, you can't do that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I think the biggest, the biggest way to think about it or the biggest difference in thinking about it is thinking about your colloquial terms and the way that people talk about your geography in the geography and not just sticking to the standard city names and include neighborhoods too, because there are some very prominent neighborhoods that you may want to focus on. So, yeah. Hmm. I'm going to ask you to get out your crystal ball for a little while <laughs> oh, and what do you see I'm gonna ask you can you can ask this or answer this in any way you like but I think um I'm I'll, I'll make it very broad and then you can you can uh, an answer specifically SEO or social media or however you want but I mean how do you see the future of digital digital marketing in the next you know couple three five years um let me think well, I see, well, first of all, we're going to be able to search with our brains. Um, eventually Google will be able to read our minds. <laughs> so just start optimizing your brain. Um, but I think we are evolving into a world where um, bland and standard aren't going to cut it. Like just having a website ain't going to cut it. So we have to, we are I see the resurgence in creativity in a brand story. I see, I, I know that digital marketing has to be holistic. Um, it, don't just invest in SEO. You are going to need social media. You're going to need YouTube. You're going to need um, email. You're going to need the whole gamut because we are all connected by our phones now. And there are 17 different ways that you can connect with someone. And you're going to need to test all of them. Not saying you're going to have to pursue all of them all of the time because you're just going to need to test them. So maybe my answer is testing is going to be more prevalent um, in the future because testing creativity, how do you stop the scroll? How do you, you need to test how you connect with a human to human through website copy and through social media copy. And you need to test all of the different channels to hone in on not being everywhere. Cause you also don't want like, you don't want to become, you don't want your customers to become blind to you because they just constantly freaking see you. Um, so 
but you can also you can also become reliable. I know Domino's is going to email me every single day about 4:30. <laughs> and sometimes I open that email because I want pizza. So, you know, you, you're going to have to be, you have to kind of come up with a rapport like that with your audience. So I would say more testing, actually. Awesome. I'm going to uh, ask you one last question. And this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, right. And it is going to be, um, is there a book that you, you know, do you have a favorite book or is there a book that you like to gift a lot? So I, this is actually a really old book. But my two bosses ago gave it to me as I was like going through managerial training and I loved it. It's called from, it's called good to great. And it's old. It talks about brands and businesses that do not exist anymore. But the point of the book is still very, very relevant. And the point of the book is they, these brands were suffering, these businesses, not brands, they were businesses that were suffering, like corporate level businesses suffering due to management and how, or how they were good. They were like, "Mm," you know, mediocre, but they, because they strategically shifted their leadership, they went to great and they shifted leadership in various different ways. There was no single solution. Like we brought in, we needed an alpha person. We needed this kind of person. Like they all had different types of personalities that they brought into their C-suite that were able to elevate the company and elevate those that were below them too. Because a lot of the problems were the disconnect between the C-suite and those in the, in the weeds. And so the book talks a lot about the transformation from from floating, from plateauing, or failing and suffering and how a shift in upper management can and management style and management strategy can really affect things top to bottom. And they talked, they did talk about employee satisfaction and employee health and retention employees um, and how they were promoting from within a lot more after this and like training their existing talent. And they talked a lot about those types of tactics that good companies should be doing. Um, So it was just fascinating to hear how that shift can really just make something explode something that yeah might not be on the verge of bankruptcy or something but just going from eh to holy wow and um so that is it's again it's old you're gonna probably won't even know half the businesses in there i think they talk about enron (laughs) like (laughs) but that's um, that's depressing to think that book is old (laughs) Like it didn't come oh, I know, that but, long ago. And, and it talks about brands or businesses that have now like actually merged or like, mm. yeah. <laughs> so it is kind of funny, like looking back on it, but it's, it's a really great and interesting read from a corporate management standpoint um, that I thought was really interesting. It has nothing to do with SEO. <laughs> or doesn't have marketing. to, doesn't have to. <laughs> and so on that front too, like I haven't read an SEO or digital marketing book in quite some time, just because they get so outdated so quickly. Um, and, but I love staying up to date through our digital sources and blogs and um, newsletters like search engine journal and, um, you know, and keeping up with those sources and Twitter has been a great resource for updated news. And I mean, especially follow, I mean, you can get to follow Google, you get to follow Microsoft, like you get to follow them and they announced their changes very quickly. So you get to follow along in real time. And I think that actually is a better way of staying up to date with what's going on than trying to read a book. I mean, a book printed in 
2018 would be probably out of date at this point. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I love Twitter. I, I think it's great. I know a too. lot of people, a lot of people <laughs> knock it, but I, I just, it's one of my, it's actually my favorite uh, social media platform for sure, by far. Mm-hmm. On that note, Diana, thank yeah. you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you taking your time. Oh, thank and, you so much uh, for having me. I'm glad we welcome. got to connect and hang out. Yeah. Anytime, anytime you want to come back, you know, just shoot Put me an email. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, for people who want to reach out to you, where's, I guess, Twitter maybe is the best, yeah. but where's where's a good place to, to reach out to you? So you can follow SEMrush on all our social media platforms. Um, we're easy. We're SEMrush. That's our handle across the board. That's S-E-M-R-U-S-H. And I am mostly talking about SEO and wine on Twitter and LinkedIn. So you can <clears throat> search for my name on both platforms. Um, but my actual handle on Twitter is Diana Rich 13 because 13 is my lucky number. And on LinkedIn, you'll know it's me because there's a wine glass next to my name. <laughs> and for people who want to check out uh, Sam Rush, uh, go, I guess, obviously go to their website. Uh, how do you sign up? We have a seven day free trial, but we also have a free account option. So you, we have paid options, but we have a totally free account option. Um, if you go to sign up for that, you can just skip the payments and it will automatically put you into the free accounts and you can use that as you, I mean, it certainly has restrictions, but you can, it's actually a much nicer way than if you can't get it all in in seven days, it's actually like a nice way you'll get full access to pretty much everything in the seven day free trial the free, but I feel like it's easier to play around with the free account at first and then consider upgrading. Um, based on that, you can see a lot of the workflows, but yeah, you just go to samrush.com and, um, or click on any of our, we have like tons of posts out there with easy, but you know, calls to action to sign up for free for seven days. So any, anyway, <laughs> and if you Thank have you. questions, my DMS are open on Twitter. So please feel um, free to reach out. I know that for sure because that's how we connected was through yeah. DM. I honestly didn't expect a response. So. <laughs> I, like, I yeah. checked my DMs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you heard it here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Diana, it's been a blast. Thank you so much and uh, have you a wonderful it. day. You too. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.